0: This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. We did a good job at always being kind of outnumbered them in the slot, you know, like making sure even that
1: goal that they score technically like it's because we are all there. Vassi doesn't don't see it. I don't know if
0: the puck would have gone in if he didn't touch Colsey I would rather have us all there more often and then this kind of goal happen, then we give them a great A right in front of the net. So I think that's. We not We give them shots from, you know, per- periphery, and that's kind of like in our goalie. See them, and that's that's huge. I think it's always a process, right? Even for a team like this, that's you know won so much, had so much success. Every team or every season, you kind of got to start anew and, and, and get get those reps in and get, get everyone get everyone on the same page. Because you know the way we play, it's it's a five-man team defense, right? I mean, you can you know defense, oh, it's just a defenseman, but but we really rely on our forwards to do a lot of work for us too, and and they're so good at it. And you've seen the past two games, like how good they can be and how much they help us uh, as defensemen and as uh, you know obviously goaltenders too. So yeah, they, they've done a great job for us. Played pretty complete game to be honest I didn't feel like we were in a ton of trouble all night I mean, they're a good hockey team so we're gonna get some chances but uh, I thought we limit them pretty well they they pushed to be expected but we weathered it and you know Polly's second goal was a big one for us but it was a tight checking game you know, special teams wasn't a big factor It was just two pretty good teams going at it and we got the extra one that was helped
1: heck yeah now, that's the type of game you like to see on the road against an opponent who's playing really well. And, partner, as you said and as I observed and talked about it with Chief, I think for about two periods at least, the Lightning kept the Kraken at bay mm-hmm. for whatever reason, whether the Kraken didn't have their legs or whether it was just the Tampa Bay Lightning playing a certain way, dictating play. Seattle really never got going until the third period. They had 12 shots through two periods. You heard Ian Cole, John Cooper. Who was the first one? Delmar. Delmar, that's right. I think it was any one. I didn't the franchise. No, though. I did. I, I did, but I, I just I lost train of thought. My old age of 42. Um, he gets a goal. I feel like at this point, he has what, two goals on the yeah. year? Yeah. Have they won both games? <laughs>
0: Yeah. (laughs) Opening goals, both of them. There
1: you go. When Belmar Mm -hmm. scores, you need to win (laughs) because it it hasn't happened often. Yeah. Uh, But, partner, that was a – and it is Lightning Radio. Power Lunch is the show. Dave Michigan, Greg Linnelli, Steve Versnick at Bolts Radio. If you want to get in touch with me, you can. Really good start to this road trip. And, partner, I thought big picture, and then we'll dive into what we saw. I felt like that was a, a very solid, you can even say impressive game understanding who they were playing, where they were playing, and you know just you don't you don't see those type of performances through two periods too often against another good team.
0: Well, the Lightning came in very aware of what Seattle had done recently, 8-0 to start 2023 and the 7 and 0 perfect road trip. They're also aware of how prolific the Kraken are as a team for scoring goals. They came in tied for second in the NHL in offense. And I think they were ready for the challenge. They, they were prepared to win that game one nothing if they had to. Now, they could have been up more than one nothing in the first period. They had 15 shots. Grubauer, who has had kind of a rough year, was very good for Seattle throughout the game, especially in the first period. Another snake-bitten period for Stamkos. He was quieter in the second and the third as the scoring chance numbers dried up for the Lightning as well. But in the first period, he had four shots, and Grubauer robbed him. Otherwise, he would have gotten, of course, goal number 500. He didn't, but the Lightning still got the victory. But I thought the story of this game was how the Lightning defended. Similar to what I said after the St. Louis game, even though the Lightning got some strong offensive performances in that game, like from Braden Point against the Blues I'm talking about, My takeaway was how they defended and how they locked things down in the third period against St. Louis. This game was a little different because the Kraken had very little going until right before Vince Dunn scored. And after Dunn scored, they're within one, there's half a period to go, and you had the feeling, all right, how how bumpy is this final stretch going to be for the Lightning? And credit to them, it wasn't overly bumpy. It really wasn't. I mean, they held the Kraken without a shot after Dunn scored for the next four minutes. They had a lot of extended offensive zone shifts. Makes it hard for Seattle to go on the attack when they're, they're forced to chase in their own end. And then from about, like, six, five and a half minutes left, up until the point that they pulled Grubauer, they did have four more shots, the Kraken, but I'm not sure that any of them were were overly dangerous and they were more, like, spread out. It wasn't, like, shot retrieval or shot rebound. It was kind of a shot here, and then maybe, like, 45 seconds later, they had a shot there. And then shortly after they pulled Grubauer, the Lightning scored into the empty net, and, and that was basically it. So I thought that this was a very impressive defensive performance for the Lightning from, from two different perspectives or standpoints. First, how they defended as a whole throughout the game. And then second, when the Kraken got the goal and could have really grabbed momentum and kind of snatched a point or two out of a game in which they really had no business being in, the Lightning didn't let the Kraken build any momentum. That was a key moment in the game, those first couple of minutes after Dunn's goal, because the Lightning were, were being pushed really for the first time all day, and they met the challenge. So, the other thing that you mentioned, you know, they got not just one, but two goals from the bottom six, which is really important. Those are the two goals they scored with Grubauer in the net, and they needed the balanced scoring today, because the top two Lions did not score with, with the goalie in. Which and is a big got, deal. They got the empty net. Yeah, right, right, Yeah.
1: Which is a big deal. And, you know, from the get-go, I thought the Lightning were able to dictate play. You had Sorelli, with that backhand chance partner in tight. Yep. You also saw Kalorn with a shot, and I think Stammer had a tip. And yeah, absolutely. They know, could have
0: been up more than one nothing.
1: You mentioned 1-0. Grubauer. First off, I was surprised it wasn't Jones, because Jones has been
0: the guy, well, we had given back the numbers. To back. It's yeah. a back-to-back for Seattle, and they have a divisional game tonight in Edmonton. So maybe that makes more sense. Yeah, after that's why. The I mean, look, they still could have played Jones in the first game, but I think their coach made a decision that to the extent that Jones is having the better year than Grubauer. Yep. I was asking John Forslund and JT Brown about this before the game. I'm like, is it that Jones is is the guy? Well, they said for now he's the guy. I think that there's still some thought that Grubauer might wrestle back some ice time. But if you go under the assumption heading into a back-to-back afternoon game at home against an out-of-conference opponent, and then road game against a divisional foe that wants to try and catch up to you in the division, it would make sense you would play the guy that has played more in the divisional game, and that's what they did. Right. It was it was good to see. And I, I don't even know... But it man, wasn't a wrong decision to play Grubauer because he no, gave them a chance to get did. points out of that game.
1: He really did. He played well, as well as you could. I just thought the Lightning were, were a lot better in, in that game. And I don't know if that's where... The talent uh, really came to the forefront. You know, you have a team, Chief likes to say, if you get a talented team who works hard, mm-hmm. you're going to beat a team who works hard that has less talent basically every single time. And I think one he of the. He says it a lot better than that. You he, just ri- he really does, doesn't he?
0: <laughs> uh, he says, hard say... work. I, I think I know it because I have heard him say it about 35 times. It's over tricky. The years. I wanted to say <laughs> it slow. It's hard work can beat talent. Yes. But hard-working talent can't be beat. He credits Bobby Clark with that Yes. Maybe statement.
1: we should make a shirt I think you
0: that. should write that down, Greg, so you, you know what? deliver it a little bit I'm more I'm going to be squiggly. honest with you.
1: I'm not going to write it down, <laughs> and next time I bring it up, I'm probably going to butcher it again. So that's usually how it plays out. But regardless, I think that's been maybe the biggest thing the Lightning have experienced the last three years and one of the reasons why they've been really good and won championships. The, the talent... And the work ethic, they complement each other very well, especially in key times. I thought that was the case last night. And I think the fact that the Lightning did play with the puck, had some zone time. I do think that's usually their best defense. You know, you can kind of control play, dictate play, mm-hmm. and you don't have to necessarily defend in your own end. I mean, nobody likes to, you know, we're really good at defending in our own end. Okay, you can, but you don't want to make that a habit. And I think the Lightning do a good job when their game is, is really moving along of forcing the other team in their own zone. And having them play defense, because I think the Lightning have a lot of options offensively. Maybe not as much this year as in years past, but yeah. one through four can beat you. And look, Belmar, to his credit, got things going. That's a big mm-hmm. deal. I not that, that was a good tip too. It wasn't very an easy good tip. play. No, it was a very good tip. Do I think it's a coincidence that again, maybe lighting the fire? It's going to be the ghost of Rudy Balsers, Dave. Every time, every time what that guy... flying. <laughs> yeah, I don't know monsters. what implying... <laughs> it's a Christmas. It's a little Christmas reference. So, okay. You know, and the fact that, like, you know, he gets claimed off waivers the first time, and I saw, I don't know if you agree, I saw an immediate uptick in the level of play from the bottom six. Immediate. And then, look, he's getting closer to that conditioning mm-hmm. assignment. He's getting closer to coming up here and getting it done. That has to light a fire under guys... Behinds who have underperformed a little bit offensively, do I think it's a coincidence? I don't. You could you could disagree, but it's nice to see the competition perhaps elevating some of that play with guys who are on the bottom, you know, two lines. And it was good to see. Bottom line, good to see Belmar contribute offensively. I was happy to see that.
0: Yeah, and like I said, it was a really nice tip. One reason why the Lightning did very well in the first period. They made life extremely difficult yeah. on Seattle clearing the zone. I know this is kind of a bugaboo on our broadcast when the lightning struggle in this regard. Like, you have the puck on your stick in the defensive zone, and you don't get it out, you are asking for trouble. And it was like on repeat, in the first period the Kraken had the puck in the defensive zone did not execute to get out of their own end and the Lightning would have a shift that would get extended in the offensive zone yeah and the goal that was scored was just another example of the Kraken having the puck and they fumbled it away came cross ice Corey Perry picked it up dropped it to Cole they lost coverage on Belmar. And, and like you might say, well, why was Belmar so wide open? And I don't know this for certain, but when you have the puck and you're trying to break out, you aren't really hunkering down defensively. You're getting yourself in a position to get out of the defensive zone. The puck gets turned over. Now you're scrambling to get back into position. And it was happening all through the first period. It just so happened that the Lightning converted <laughs> late in the first on on the last one of those that went away a little bit in the second and the third I agree with you the Lightning had the majority of the puck possession but I thought it was less pronounced in the second and the third Seattle had more possession in the second and the third so it was it was more even frankly but the Lightning still did not really let the Kraken generate many dangerous scoring chances I thought that was really important because this is a team that can score
1: yes. a lot.
0: Now, I don't know if you read Elliot Friedman had thirty-two thoughts out today, written version, and it was actually thirty-one thoughts. I'm not sure why he didn't put a thirty-second on there. He is not—he's not doing the written version as much, Elliot. And when he does, sometimes it's a shorter version, which is fine. That's his prerogative, certainly. But he did have a note in there that I thought was interesting because yesterday we were talking about the Kraken scoring a lot but not having a high shot volume. Like their average shot count per game is is pretty low. Like it's under 30 shots per game. So as I said to you, Greg, I know you remember this. I said, well, what does that tell you? That means they have a very high shooting percentage. I didn't know how high. But Elliot actually had that note in there that the Kraken shooting percentage is the highest shooting percentage in league history since they started tracking the stat. Yeah. It's over 11%. Now, he didn't say what I said, which is this probably is not sustainable. What he said was if it holds, it'll be a record. But that jives with what I was seeing as far as the stats. So what does that mean? Like, does it mean that when they take a shot, it's a higher percentage shot? Maybe. Maybe it just means that the goalies are muffing them more often than with other teams, which is why sometimes, you know, the percentage reverts to the mean and the goals dry up a little bit. Now, last night, they had neither a lot of shots, 23 for the game, nor did they have a lot of scoring chances. So it's not surprising that they didn't score a lot. But, you know, we don't see them very often, but I guess what we're, what we're, reading into from their stats they have balanced scoring for sure and they are very efficient at putting the puck in the net we'll see if that's able to continue for them
1: that's hard to keep up that type of percentage you know, it's just I think that's asking a lot. So you you had mm-hmm. mentioned, do you come back? And I use just the the terminology coming back to earth a little bit. <laughs> I, I think that yeah. does happen. I think that Maybe. will eventually happen.
0: But they put themselves in a really good spot to make they the have. playoffs. They have. And you know what? Like, they are a team that could be active at the deadline. I don't know that they're going to go and get, like, Patrick Kane. But, I mean, you figure that they have cap room, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they aren't breaking the bank on any of their players if they feel they need to upgrade and ron francis is a sharp dude you know they'll do it they make it maybe maybe it helps why not penalty kill like where if you figure greg that their shooting percentage is going to drop so they're not going to be scoring four to five goals a game i mean they are defending okay they're not a bad defensive team but their penalty kill has been a problem so, like, what what areas of concern do you address? Maybe you find a guy who's, like, a penalty kill, shot-blocking depth defenseman specialist. Or, in talking with Everett Fitzhugh, their, their radio announcer, he felt they needed to get a little bit more sandpaper in their lineup. Like, those guys are available at the deadline. You can find those guys without having to pay a first-round pick as a price, usually. I mean, the Lightning paid a, a heavy price to get yeah. Goodrow and Coleman, and maybe you would say, well, they're players like that. But, like, you could get a fourth-line winger to fill that role that wouldn't cost you as much. What do you think? So make? we'll see what the Kraken do. Yeah, but th- th- this is kind of a separate It's in, still a great story, the fact that they oh, are sure. they are after last year.
1: Listen, you win that many games early on. You go on an eight-game winning streak. You give yourself an opportunity to make the playoffs, even if you have a little bit of a slump. Later in the year. I think we've seen that a little bit with the Devils, too. It's just you get off to a really hot start. It's going to be hard for you not to make the playoffs unless you have a complete collapse. Could happen. We'll see. I'm wondering how you feel about this, too, when it comes to penalty kill. Maybe it's not always related. But you do look at Seattle's goaltending. And while they have wins, although Grubauer not as many as Jones because Jones has been the guy, their numbers don't overwhelm you. And I'm wondering... Do you think on the PK you mentioned they're struggling? Do you think in some ways that's where you can identify if your goaltender is is having a, a real big impact? Because you know a lot of times they like say the best penalty killer is your goaltender. Like is 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 the real goaltender exposed a bit more yeah. in the penalty kill situation?
0: Well, they say that you know your goaltender is your best penalty killer, so there Correct. is more pressure on the goalie. But it can be a little unfair to to lay it all on the goaltender. I mean, if you're giving up seam passes, those are going to create scoring chances. Yes. And I'm not sure what the goalie is going to do, do with that. So yeah. without having watched Seattle play, I don't know. We did note that both of their goalies have a save percentage of under 900. Yes. Which also is consistent with a team that is, they're not horrible defensively, but they're kind of middle of the pack but they don't give up a lot of shots. It's like the same thing on the other side of the ledger as them scoring a lot without shooting a lot. They're giving up a lot relative to the number of shots that they are allowing, and you figure that will improve unless the goaltending is just not good enough, and I'm not sure if that's the case because all the Kraken people that I talked to yesterday were talking about how good Jones has been this year. Yeah, so that's, that's fair. So okay. if that's the case, they're watching him. They're saying he's making saves, so... Unless you're just giving up, the shots that you're giving up, a higher volume of them are grade-A scoring chances. You figure that if you limit the other team to, let's say, 27 to 28 shots a game on average, that will help you keep your goals against down. And maybe they are just having a tough percentage as they are benefiting from a very good percentage as far as shooting the puck. But I maintain that if your penalty kill is not good, that will affect your team save percentage, basically, because you're going to be giving up goals on a lower number of shots. Because
1: mm-hmm.
0: in a power play, how many shots will the team generate? I mean, they may score right away. Then it might be one goal on one shot. But let's say it comes at the end of the power play. How many shots does a team normally get in a one power play? Three, maybe? Yeah. Four? yeah. Well, if you're scoring Perhaps. one out of every four, that's twenty five percent, right? Now maybe a couple it's not like they're giving up a power play goal every penalty kill, but so last last night or yesterday, the Lightning didn't score in the power play, they had six shots. So that'll help their Seattle's, you know, save percentage. But if you're only killing off seven out of every ten, they're under seventy percent, that will affect your save percentage as well, which is why I said penalty kill might be more systemic than just overall save percentage. If, if, if you're not giving up a high volume of shots, if your save percentage is low because you're holding the other team down in terms of shots, but more pucks are going in, that may just correct itself over time. But the penalty kill, if it's struggling and we're halfway through the year, that may be a problem more with the rotations, or the personnel, and maybe you need an upgrade. But we'll see what Ron Francis decides to do.
1: We I wish see. them well, though. I mean, I think yeah. it's a
0: great story. Sure. Uh, and What's I the building like? Wo- I would think it would be wonderful for, for that team to get into the playoffs. It's a beautiful building. Yeah, loud? I mean, it's – yeah, it was it meza was meza yesterday, I think. Okay. And part of yeah. it was the game from the Seattle standpoint was a bit flat. Gotcha. So, look, I'm not going to take anything away from the Lightning. The Lightning can't control the position the other team is in. They went out and they did absolutely everything they needed to do to limit shots and scoring chances. And when Seattle caught a little bit of a, um, you know, wind at their back and a little bit of a momentum surge, the Lightning squelched it, which was great. But if we're being fair about it, and we said yesterday, if we were doing a Kraken show I certainly would have concerns about the game yesterday. The first home game back after a long road trip. Afternoon game. They got in later than the Lightning, actually. I don't know if I said that on the show yesterday. I I found that out because the Kraken were in Seattle. Sorry, the Kraken were in Chicago going to Seattle. The Lightning were in St. Louis going to Seattle. Both games started at the same time. Maybe this Chicago game started a half hour later whatever the case, the Kraken got home later than the Lightning got to Seattle. I can tell you the Lightning got to Seattle pretty late. It was like 2 a.m. Pacific. So they basically just slept all day Sunday. They didn't have a practice. They had the complete day off. Then they got to come back and play Monday afternoon, front end of a back-to-back. That's not an easy schedule. And then the other part I mentioned was when you're coming off a game where you score eight, sometimes you lose a little bit of your jam, the jam that you need to score goals in the NHL. When it comes that easily for you, I remember in Chicago, they scored, what, six goals on five, uh, seven shots or whatever it is. Right. Like, that's just not going to happen. They know that, but they didn't have a lot of push yesterday. If I'm being honest, I think it may have been a combination of all those factors. And I would expect that they're going to have a little bit more jam to their game in the divisional contest tonight. So, look, the Lightning don't have to apologize for what they did. That happens. But I think Seattle had an off day. So I think the crowd felt that a little bit. Pretty cool, though. Either end. So the arena, most of the arena, Greg, is actually underground. Like if you were to go on street level to Climate Pledge Arena, I mean, it's not completely submerged. Basically, if you walk in at street level, you're at the upper concourse. I'm not quite sure why they did that, but it was it was interesting to note. And so at either end zone, there are windows to the outside, and they open the curtains. They had the curtains closed for the practice day the Lightning had on Sunday. But Monday and it was afternoon, so the daylight, they opened the curtains. So you could look out either end and see the street level. And I was asking JT Brown about this. I said, doesn't that bother the players, like the glare? He said, first of all, we're so far down that what you're getting is daylight at street level, which would be different than if it was... Like, the sun doesn't really have an opportunity to come in as much. And he said, we don't get a lot of sun here, usually. And most often their games are at night. So that's really not an issue because it's dark outside. I thought that was interesting, though. I I don't remember too many arenas where they they allow natural light to come in. But they do there. Well you know why? Seattle doesn't get a lot of light, so it's <laughs> that's that's what he was saying. Like yeah,
1: yeah it's not a problem. It's not Yeah, a I
0: mean it was overcast. So yeah, yeah. that really yeah. wasn't an issue, but also it's the very top of the arena. So if you're skating on the ice, the majority of what you're seeing is, you know, fans and yeah, seats. So For clearly sure. they've they they've understood that this is not a distraction to the players like where you need the eye black or something like that. To Did be you like
1: did you hear any of the snippets we played from the Block Party podcast regarding Yanni Gore
0: throughout a little the little bit? Last how he night? listened to the show and
1: well, it just like <laughs> he basically was like, if I don't play with an edge, I'm not a good player.
0: Yeah, and they were missing a little bit of that yesterday.
1: Yeah, and I it was just, how many goals does he have? Four this year? I mean, he does that. No, he has
0: more than that. He he's been doing okay points wise. He's having more assists. He is. Six, I'm just or seven, six or seven goals. Now you're going to make me look it up, of
1: course. But I, I think I, when I when I take a look at Gord, you know, it's, I'm wondering, did he have that dip in his tenacious play, his intensity that you typically
0: see from yeah. a guy like that? Well, you he know? got into it in the game in Tampa. Remember that? That third period of the game was kind of a blowout at that point. Was that, that with point?
1: Maroon, right? Was it with Yeah,
0: Maroon? Yeah. Yanni has six goals, but he He's has 29 six. points. He does. So I mean that's not bad. He's also a plus 17. Now look, if you're scoring a lot and your penalty kill is bad, you're going to have some good pluses on your team, right? Yeah because the penalty kill when it gives up a goal that doesn't count as a minus, sure anyway, and you're and you're in playoff position, what I'm saying? like you've won a lot of games, you've scored a lot, and a higher percentage of the goals you're allowing. Are sh- are while you're shorthanded, so you're not yeah. getting a minus. You're going to have plus players. Sure. But, you know, Yanni at plus 17 is pretty good. Yeah, he got into it with Maroon at Amelie Arena. But at that point, the game was, what, 5-1? It was it was yeah, not it was... a penalty-heavy game through no. two periods. And then it kind of got ugly in the third. Yesterday was not a heavy penalty game. No, either. it wasn't. It wasn't. How
1: about the play of uh, Hain Fleury? Coming in good. there. Yeah, I thought he yeah. was solid. You mentioned Hedman. You thought Hedman was fantastic, right?
0: I thought he was. Yeah. I mean, it was a collective effort defensively. I'm looking at Hayden Fleury's ice time. He only played 10:03. It felt like he played more than that. It did. It did. By the way, I can't believe Hedman only has two
1: goals. <laughs> Is that. Yeah, does that felt weird. When he
0: scored in San Jose, it was right yeah. in the first shift of the game. It's unusual. He jumped in the play and, and snapped right. it in. And he would have. Gladly taken an assist yesterday. He wanted to get Stamkos the puck. But it's like every opponent is like, we do not want to be the team that gives up Stamkos' 500 goal. It is
1: pretty funny how that, that does play out. Because everybody is looking at it. Yeah. For sure. You know? That is interesting. But he tried to. And then, nonetheless, he, you know, got I'm glad the, he, he just him. said, you
0: know what? I'm going to take what they give me here. And he he you do You again. do have to do that, don't you?
1: I mean, you just... yeah. S- For his confidence, too, it's good to see that puck cross the goal line. But nonetheless, at Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you certainly can do just that. We do have a question coming in. Basil says, last night I was just thinking to myself that Nick Paul was having a pretty quiet game. Then, goal. Great effort last night for a close game. It seemed like the
0: Lightning were really in control. I'm not sure I go that far, Basil. I thought his line had a lot of possession time, which is, you know, kind of what they've been doing. Would you like to see Paul Colton and Maroon generate more scoring chances on a regular basis? Probably yes. But I think that they've done a a fairly consistent job of out possessing the other team when they are on the ice. And that's Maroon's game. Maroon is at his most effective when he's Below the dots in the offensive zone, and he can control the puck. I don't see
1: a situation come playoff time where Pat Maroon is still on the third line. And that's not a knock on him, per se. I I think he's a fourth-line guy for this team. It goes back to trying to upgrade, I think, in all areas. I think possession is good, but I think you're going to need some production, too. And Mm. I think Nick Paul can drive play. Yes, he I can. I think he's that type of player. I think you get Maroon in a certain situation. I think he has the ability to keep the puck down low. I think he's he's very skilled at that. I just I don't know how many minutes. If your third line consists of Nick Paul and who else? Ross Colton, you want to throw him out there, or whomever. It ends up being. How many minutes do you want them playing? And if Maroon's part of that, do you have to juggle the minutes to make sure he's not overexposed? Mm-hmm. Because the, the thinking is your fourth line is going to play seven or eight minutes a night. Might even be shortened partner come playoff time. I don't know. But I, for me, that's kind of where I look at Pat Maroon with his role on the team and where he's most effective. If he's got to bump up to the third line and he's playing with Paul on a regular basis, are you mixing and matching more on that third line to make sure his minutes aren't overexposed? Right. I think that's a fair point. And so I, I, I don't know. I do think Maroon knows how to play with good players, though. Mm-hmm. skilled players. I think he's proven that in his career. And you know, we'll see we'll see how that plays out.
0: Look, had, John Cooper does not stick with the line if he's not happy with it? He doesn't. And and that has been a line the three of them since Paul and Sorelli swapped. Yeah? When right before Christmas it was. So Coop is not unhappy. That's that's the way I'll put it. For now. And so that line stays as a line. The other thing we noticed yesterday, Greg, was that Hagel started with Point and Kucherov and stayed with Point and Kucherov through the whole game. So there was no swapping of Hagel and Stamp Ghost last night. Yeah. How about that pass Kalorn gave to Hagel on the empty netter? Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Hustle by Hagel. I don't know that Kalorn knew that Hagel was going to get there, but Kalorn made sure, A, he got it out. It was the perfect pass it. though. Yeah, it was the perfect. I mean, he let and, him. But and he didn't he didn't put too much on it so that it would have been icing. And then it, if anyone wondered how much flat-out speed Brandon Hagel has, he split between Sprong and Schultz, two former Pittsburgh Penguins, I should yeah. mention. Yeah. And and got to that puck first. I think that, gonna... Like, we criticized a little bit the Lightning when Morgan Barron scored that empty net goal in Winnipeg. Yes. And if, if you're Seattle, you're like, how do you let that happen? We have two guys going back for the puck. How do we let the one Lightning guy outrace us to get it and basically end the game? But from the Lightning's perspective, we say great hustle, right? Who... Which it was. Who's faster, you think? Hagel or Point? point by far i don't know that'd be interesting maybe they should have uh, they should race pass the <laughs> skater like <laughs> i think okay, seattle was showing some some highlights on they actually have two scoreboards that's the other thing interesting oh, nice. if you you watch the game right yeah, While yeah. the game yeah, is yeah. on yeah so i mean I, I think it was obvious on the screen that's the one arena in the nhl for sure one of the rare arenas that i can remember that is two scoreboards they don't have one big center ice scoreboard. They have two scoreboards, kind of in each offensive zone. Yeah, and they're not small; like they're they're pretty big. I don't know why I was talking about that, but That's okay. oh, oh! So on the For scoreboard, racing? they had yeah. So they had yeah. highlights. It must have been last year. The Kraken did like an internal team skills competition. Nice. Because I saw, like, Eberle doing the accurate shot. And Did Jamie Oleksiak have the hardest slap shot? Who was taking the slap shot? It was somebody who was doing the slap shot. I think it was Dunn. They had Dunn doing the slap shot. I think it was him. Anyway, the Lightning, maybe they should have a fastest skater competition internally. That's not from one end to the other, though. You have to turn as well. So yeah. how you are on your edges matters, and, and I'm not sure that there's anybody as good on his edges as Braden Point. No, I, th- I, th- I mean, especially with the puck. Oh, He's man. It's just dynamite. Now, in that competition, you don't have to have a puck. You just Correct. flat out go as fast as you can. And Hagel didn't have the puck yesterday. He just had to get to the puck, which he did. Do you think it
1: matters to Stammer if he scores an empty netter for his 500s?
0: No. It didn't matter to Ovechkin. Well, that's Ovechkin. I, I know, you know I mean. Well, Ovechkin has had so many milestones lately. I can't remember which one. He had one of them, though, into an empty net. Does he have now won 17 consecutive years of 30-plus goals? I yeah. think I
1: felt like I saw that that number come by. That was pretty impressive.
0: I mean, I we guess. don't have to spend a ton of time no, talking about Ovechkin, we but don't. I think the, the two things that are the most amazing about Ovechkin, first of all, his ability to score goals <laughs> at an incredibly high level— Over the course of his entire career, but also his durability. We talked about this. He just, he doesn't miss any time. No, he doesn't. That's incredible, really, when you think about it. Yeah, it it really is. Hey, let's get into Vancouver quickly. So a couple of notes on the Canucks. First of all, one of their all-time popular players passed away recently, Gino Ojik. He's 15 years old. Was he
1: the chief? I, I feel like uh, Jason Cullimore had talked about him a yeah, lot. Yeah, he,
0: he, I'm probably not going to say this right. Like when Native, it's a Native American, is that how you would say yeah. it if you're Canadian? I, I, I he think He was so. born in the province of Quebec, but yeah, he comes from that background. And I guess Ethan Baer, who has a similar background, scored the day that Ojik passed away, and was very emotional about it. Bayer plays for Vancouver. That was after they'd played the Lightning. Bear scored. So I'm seeing all these stories on Gino Ojick and it's interesting. He and Pavel Bure were very, very close. I didn't know this at the time. This was in the 90s. I was working in the minors. I wasn't really clued into Vancouver except the one year they got to the Stanley Cup final, and Ojick was a big part of that team in 93 94. But I guess there's a story that Bray told where Gino Ojik Bray spending the off season in Moscow and Gino Ojik just like goes to Moscow and Goes to, he's looking for Beret. I'm not quite sure exactly why, like, nobody met him at the airport, but nobody met him at the airport. So he found his way to the KGB offices and, like, that's incredible, banged on the door. was like, I'm here to see Pavel. <laughs> 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 and you know, they got him to Pavel Beret. I don't know what Pavel <sighs> Beret was doing in the KGB headquarters, or maybe that was just like the best way to find him, be that as it may. It's really tragic. It's a sad story. Ogic went on to play for, who was he with? He was with the Flyers a little bit, I think. Maybe the Islanders, too? I think the Islanders anyway. for sure, yeah. Yeah, the Islanders and the Flyers. But his his most memorable years were in Vancouver. So that's happening, and I wouldn't be surprised because this will be their first home game, the Canucks, since Ogic passed away. There'll be some kind of ceremony tomorrow, as there should be. The other thing is that the guy you were talking about, Jim Rutherford, had a pretty blunt press conference yesterday. I was just gonna bring this up to yeah, you. like he said, you know what I thought when I took the job we needed minor surgery, we need major surgery like he he didn't hold any punches. he didn't pull any punches in talking about some of the moves that he he felt the team needs to make and and he did provide some clarity on the Horvat situation, which is basically at least from the Vancouver perspective. They've made Horvat an offer, but it's probably not what he can get in the open market based on the year he's having this year. And so he was not optimistic that they could keep him, and he also said that they're in a little bit of a, he used the word a pickle when it came to Horvat, because they don't have the flexibility to free up more money to, to sign him, but also there may not be a willingness to sign him to a higher number. Let's say than what they gave J.T. Miller. So I think they gave J.T. Miller yeah. like eight. Yeah. And I don't think they want to go much above that to, to pay Horvat. So that would be a little bit of the willingness of the team, but also they are locked into some contracts that make it difficult for them to, to offer him more. And it doesn't sound like Bruce Boudreaux is going to be the coach very much longer. <laughs> I never felt but like, but for was a now, he thing. is the coach, and yeah. and Rutherford reemphasized that he said he's our coach for now. Well, what so, did I tell you about Rutherford? Is mover a, a, and a guy, shaker?
1: He is, and he's he doesn't do things half. You know what? If there is an opportunity to blow up that team and put his fingerprints really on
0: what he wants, he's going to do that. Peterson and Hughes are not going anywhere, though. Like, I mean, he's not an idiot, right? <laughs> These are two. Like, I mean, there's not blowing it up. And then there's like targeted, uh, <laughs> targeted explosives, right?
1: He's <laughs> not an idiot. I love that. I love
0: that. He's line. not. He's line. not lobbing a grenade into the locker room. Listen, listen. I mean, it, look. He understands. Peterson is. Uh, and again, I read this on Elliot Friedman's Thirty Two Thoughts. Like Pedersen is is going to be the next captain if Horvat doesn't stick around, and Hughes is one of the best offensive defensemen in the league. So these guys aren't going anywhere. But there may be some other players that are "quote unquote" part of the core that are going to end up elsewhere. For sure.
1: Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio if you want to get. This involved. is not going
0: to affect their lineup. Though, tomorrow yeah. against the lightning and then the lightning are done with vancouver
1: that's got to be tough knowing that there's a good chance a decent amount of those guys could be dealt mm-hmm. you know you can say that's part of being a professional but
0: i don't know maybe you I'd go like to, to a team, team, team that has a chance to go deep in the playoffs though from the players perspective
1: wouldn't you want some clarity though if you were a player on the trade block i mean just kind of we always talk about it i don't know if we ever put ourselves in that situation yeah i'm always wondering like if i'm playing would i want to know that my name is being out there. That way, it just gives me a clear mind. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm not only playing for this team, but I'm playing for somebody else to get out of here.
0: You know? I wonder if that... I think it depends on the player and yeah, the amount sure. of cachet that player has if those discussions take
1: place. Al, I brought this up last night because he he tweeted at us, but he said, isn't it interesting that as soon as bolsters clear, as the third and fourth lines play like gangbusters, competition, as you say, guys, is good.
0: By the way, I did look it up. So Syracuse beat Utica last night, last night, yesterday afternoon, 5 to 1. Balser's had an assist on an empty net goal and had 4 yeah. shots. Okay. So, well, pretty good game, I would say. All right. Good game for the team, good game for him. Yeah. They That's play tough. tomorrow. I think we went through this yesterday. They play tomorrow, Friday and Saturday, and then they have their All-Star break.
1: Yes. We did go over that. Uh, how do you think the goaltending tandem will be this these next couple of games? You think Vasy gets Edmonton
0: most likely. Well, this is the same discussion we had with Seattle. Now both of these games are out of conference, but do you go the one that's the the more high
1: profile best on high best? profile? Ta-da. But I tell you what,
0: both these teams can score. Yeah, you know, Vancouver sure. doesn't have yeah. a McDavid and a Drysidle. Yeah, but you might make the argument that Vancouver has more scoring depth than Edmonton. Could. Yeah, I don't could. know. Traditionally, Vassie has gotten the first game, but it hasn't always been that way. So in the Chicago-Minnesota back-to-back, which I think there was a, a clear dividing line there as well mm-hmm. between you know a non-playoff team and a playoff team, Elliot got the first game, and Vassy was supposed to play the second game, and then he got sick. Yeah. Didn't play against Minnesota. So if they follow the same logic, then yes, Elliott would start... The game tomorrow and Vasilevsky gets the Edmonton game. The thing, too, is that Elliott hasn't played since the Minnesota game. So, I mean, is one day that big of a difference? Is it going to make that much of a difference? Probably yeah. not. But Vasi has played what now? He played the Winnipeg game, the two at home, that's three. So he's played five in a row mm-hmm. since Elliott got two in a row.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I. Th-
0: my, my hunch would say... They have a skate tomorrow, so I mean we'll be off the air by the time sure. they have their skate because we're three hours behind here. But after the skate, or even during the skate, we'll probably have an idea of who's... I'd, I'd like to see Vassy against McDavid and company.
1: I feel like McDavid... You, you probably have the numbers closer to mine than I do, but I feel like
0: McDavid's had some big games against the Lightning. He's had a hat-trick. He's had man, right? big games and he's had quiet games. Yeah. At the start of his career... I shouldn't really say the start of his career. But, I mean, the team's only played twice. So the number of trips he's made to Amelie Arena are fairly few and far between. Now, he had a good game. The Oilers beat the Lightning at Amelie earlier this year, and he had a good game. And I think last year he had a couple of points. But prior to that, he had been fairly quiet when when the Oilers played at Amelie, and he had been more hit-or-miss when the teams played in Edmonton, you're right. He had a hat trick game. I think he had a five point game that, that game the He had a hat trick. So he has had some explosive games against the lightning. Then he's had some quieter games against the lightning, but I would say more recently, he has had noisier games. Remember the game last year and Elliot got that start. Cause that was a back to back. I think the lightning played Calgary on the front end and Vasilevsky played that game and the lightning lost both. They lost both games to Calgary and Edmonton, unless I'm not remembering it right, but I know I know Elliott played against Edmonton and did everything he could, but the Lightning were shorthanded like nine times in that game. Remember that game, Greg? Yeah, they were yeah. just like, you just can't give McDavid and Dreisaitl all this power play time. And they finally broke through. I think they went like one for nine or two for nine on the power play, which tells you how well Elliott played. But the Lightning ended up losing that game as well. Good point. At Bolts Radio,
1: if you want to get involved in the question or the conversation, I would start Vassy tomorrow, but that's just me.
0: You start Vassy against Vancouver, or Vassie no? I'm sorry, against Vassie Edmonton. against Edmonton. I'm sorry, Vassy okay. against Edmonton.
1: Vassie against Edmonton. That's the route I would go. See what happens there. And I think a betting
0: man or a betting woman would probably agree with you.
1: So, do you think Edmonton's been a bit a bit of a disappointment this year?
0: I was looking at their game by game, so they've been kind of like. They're above 500 and you know they're in a playoff position. They're maybe not as high up as they would like to be, although they have won 3 in a row. And Evander Kane is nearing a return. I don't know if he's going to play tonight against Seattle or maybe as soon if not tonight, maybe as soon as Thursday because that's their next game against the Lightning and of course he got injured against the Lightning when Maroon's skate cut him. But I think that they have not strung together enough, like, 7-1-1 one and in one and nine. I mean, that would really help them kind of pull themselves up farther away from the playoff cut line. Having said that, though, they had, I think it was a four-game road trip. They hit the California teams in Vegas, and they lost yeah. to the Kings, but then they won the next three, including beating Vegas in their most recent game so maybe they're starting to heat up a little bit
1: this was from the other day but Baz also said his numbers aren't outstanding they never are but I think Pat Maroon is having a really good year once his line gets in the offensive zone it's really hard to move them out again he posts up behind the goal and controls play seems more noticeable than in past
0: years so Basil is complimentary of Maroon But kind of said he thought Nick Paul was having a quiet game. Wasn't it Basil who also wrote that? That might be more of a general. I think he thinks Maroon's having a good
1: year in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Maroon's having a good year. Yeah, I I think everybody's going to be judged on points and goals. I think that's just kind of where we are. And I think when the numbers are exceedingly lower than even somebody's expectations on a third and fourth line, it's going to be called out. But those guys have talked about it this year, too, about just wanting to fill the net a little bit more and being a bit more consistent offensively. I think Maroon's going to be part of this group, the top 12 or 13 forwards moving into the playoffs. It's just I think there's going to be some tinkering. And we've, we've shared a lot of comments on that. And I think for the most part, you know, it's 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 accurate to point that out. So we'll see how it uh, plays out. I just saw this uh, tweet from uh, Jimmy. He says, don't look now, but the Lightning are only two points behind the Leafs for second in the Atlantic with two games in hand. Some call Tampa Bay salary cap manipulators to win two cups. But when you find guys like Brandon Hagel, Nick Paul, and Ian Cole,
0: you win. How good has Ian Cole been this year? <laughs> oh, man. He's you been know, great. It seems, it seems funny to think that I mean, certainly in Carolina, he was in their bottom pair, if I'm remembering right, because they had Slavin and Shea Mm -hmm. as their other two lefty Ds. Yeah. And maybe that was just the way that that team worked and that team fit. And while he was in, I mean, prior to that, he was in Colorado, right? He was. And I don't think that he was a top four there, although we didn't see that team very often. Of course, we didn't see... The, the Western Conference at all, well, I shouldn't say the Western Conference, the 56-game season, you only saw the teams in your own division. But this guy can play.
1: You know, uh, think about this. I mean, he, this. Can,
0: he can play at a very, very high level. Think about this.
1: Paul, Hagel, and Cole, all either signed or acquired at the trade deadline within the last year or so. Who's been more impactful? It's an interesting question. Not they yeah. all have.
0: You talking about this year or yeah? Like I, I would say, the, no, if you I would say the playoffs this year. last year. I think because Nick Paul scored the two goals in Game Seven at Toronto. It's hard to argue against hard him. Hard to argue, hard yeah. to argue for sure. But in
1: terms of like the void Cole has filled, understanding who left, yeah, and and throw Ruta in there because Ruta was very serviceable. McDonough was obviously an elite defenseman. I'm not going to tell you it's Ian Cole, but I'm 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 saying, Dave, you can have him at the conversation. You can have him at the table, mm-hmm. ready to talk about it. I mean, you can also sit there and say, Nick Paul and Brandon Hegel, did you anticipate this type of production? I mean, wow. Ottawa didn't. What are they thinking? And Hegel, I think it, you know, out of the three guys, maybe. Hagel had previously put up some numbers, and maybe we felt like, or some did, that that was there. It was in him. He just needed mm-hmm. to get the confidence to bring it out. But did anybody anticipate Ian Cole being this good for Tampa Bay on the back end? And did any anybody anticipate Nick Paul? And you're right. Go back to when he first was acquired. Did any Did anybody anticipate that type of production from him? I mean, it's really allowed the Lightning to be one of the best teams again in the league. Yeah. At a time when, Dave, usually somebody's window starts to close when they've been at the top this long. now Lightning just found two guys under the age of 26 who were coming in. They're both going to hit 20 goals this year. And Nick probably more. locked up now. Yeah. I mean, come on. And then you've got Ian Cole, who's just... Dave, I, this is going to sound a, a, a little weird and maybe knocking... McDonough down a peg or two it's not but I mean have you missed McDonough as much as you thought with Cole playing the way he has
0: and from Ian Cole's perspective all right so he signs a one-year deal he comes to a team that's been to three straight Stanley Cup finals winning two cups it's like, all right, we're, we're slotting you in. We're not asking you to replace McDonough. We're going to slot you in, and this is the way it looked in camp, as like a five-six. You're going to be the lefty D on our yep. third pair. And maybe you're going to play with Phil Myers, who we also brought in. Yep. If you were to tell him back in September, you know what? Before the season is halfway up, you're going to be our top shutdown D pair and the first guy over the boards on penalty kill you're going to be seeing the other team's best players on a regular basis. I mean, that's got to be fantastic for him. I mean, yep. he's he's earned for it. Sure. <laughs> that's why he's he's being used in this role. But what a what a great opportunity for him, huh. you know? No I'm no not doubt. sure that he was expecting that when he signed here. But at the risk it's of fair. repeating myself, he it's has fair. earned it.
1: And the thing is his performance
0: has has dictated that he should be used in that role. He's met the he, challenge.
1: I don't think he's ever really been put into a top four role on the back. Yeah, how did he?
0: How was he used in Pittsburgh? Well, think about Who it. Who was, was ahead of him on the left side? You know, when he was with Pittsburgh, I'm trying to remember here. And he, I mean, had, he had a l- dust-up with Sullivan, right? Yeah, and, that, and I think that was the issue. led to his departure? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, Sully used him. In the playoffs, the two he years did. they won the Stanley Cup, so. He did. He did. I
1: mean, you had Latang and Dumoulin.
0: Right. Who
1: basically. And then that Mata. Was, was Mata ahead
0: of him? Yeah, Mata. Because
1: Mata at the time was still, you know, pretty good. Um, they also had Trevor Daly. Mm-hmm. And Trevor Daly kind of found the fountain of youth.
0: Was bit. Daly there for both
1: the Cups? I think he was. Okay. I think he was. And, um,
0: you know, he played well. Well, Cole played, I mean, if you look at the game, he he, he basically played every game in the playoffs those two years. He did. So he was used regularly. Oh,
1: you know, Ron Hainsey had a big role for like a year that last uh, playoff run. So they they had some guys there that saw some action. But Ian Cole was, he was always solid. There's no Mm -hmm. doubt about it. So anyways, it just, I think it speaks to how good he was and is. You know, still big guy, too. You know, when I say big, thicker guy can mm-hmm. use the body well, block shots. Anyway, it's It's been – when you talk about value in production with free agent pickups this year, um, when people don't include Ian Cole on their list, whatever that ranking is, you have to question the list because the Lightning are getting tremendous value. Yeah. No and doubt. it's been fun to watch. It's been fun to watch. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us today here on the show. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. And that's going to be a real late one here, Eastern Time Partners. A 10 o'clock game, right? Lightning and
0: This is the and one 10 o'clock game Eastern the Lightning have on this trip. Yeah. This is their final game. Correction. They play Vegas. The Arizona game, I think Arizona is still going to be technically two hours. Because gotcha. Arizona doesn't change the clock. I think that game is still when Arizona is going to be two hours behind. Yeah. This is the second to final game. The Lightning have in the Pacific time zone. They still play Vegas.
1: Well, we'll have all the coverage for you tomorrow, starting with our show noon to one. Then, of course, the game, pregame skate show, network pregame, and then, of course, the game column. Michelle will have it for you. Partner, great job. We'll do it again yep. tomorrow. Love Talk it. to you tomorrow. Thanks, Steve Erskine. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. Keep those tweets coming in at Bolts Radio. We'll get to them tomorrow right here on Lightning Radio.